Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and the generous gifts of our listeners to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already partner with Fighting for the Faith, visit our website at fightingforthefaith.com and click on one of our friendly yellow buttons. One says join our crew, the other says donate. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. If you want to specify the amount, you click on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. And now, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Thursday, May 8th, 2014. Just a couple of days away from my debate with Jim Staley on whether or not Christians should keep the Sabbath. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. Why? Well, good reason. I don't want to give away my argument. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you think biblically, help you to think critically, help you to slow down, open up your Bible, and actually compare what people are saying to God's Word in context. Mucho importante that you look at the context. Why? Because <clears throat> there's a lot of people out there making a lot of money, and uh, they're making their money by s- telling you lies about God. And unfortunately, there's some of the most po- popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, authors, and uh, people like that. There's a lot of money to be made in telling people what their itching ears want to hear when it comes to God, rather than the, rather than telling them the truth and telling them what they need to hear telling them they need to repent of their sins and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, that there is only one way to God, and that's Christ. No, and All other ways, all other religions, yeah, they, they won't get you there. So, <clears throat> yeah, you say that, and people go, oh, you're, uh, you're hateful, you're intolerant. And I, yeah, I understand. Yeah, get over it. It's not my idea. It's God's. Read it. It's in the Bible. <laughs> if you listen to this program for any length of time, then you know that. Okay, so we're going to switch gears. Let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Just, you know, again, a reminder, 5.30 Central Time at passionforthetruthministries.com. You can, you know, in St. Charles, Missouri, I think is where it's at. Sabbathdebate.com if you want details. If you can't attend, um, you can watch it online. If you can't attend, please do. It would be nice to have a few people out there going, yay, Chris. That, you know, at least two or three would be nice. Um <laughs> Because everything is set up, so it's like it's, it's on his turf with his people. Yeah, you know, yeah, you get what I'm saying. So let's talk about what we're going to do here today. Um, we have a Joel Osteen. Uh, you know, this this is going to be one of those things where I'm I'm looking at what we have going. This is going to be like a, a litany of of fingernails on a chalkboard. So we've got Joel Osteen to start things off with. 
and his message entitled Redeem the Time, yeah, which is kind of a supreme twist. Um, we'll switch gears, and then we're going to uh, do a Terry Savelle Foy update and answer the question, are you just, are your wheels just spinning? Yes, this is some important theological stuff that we're going to be covering here. Um, then uh, then um, we're going to, again, switch gears, and in the midst of all of this, we've got a Jesse Duplantis update that we've got to get to, kind of an extended one. On uh, you know making your dreams come true. Now this is an, is a, is a segment, a, a video segment from uh, CBN from a couple years back from uh, uh, from Jesse Duplantis is making the rounds regarding his uh, book entitled The Everyday Visionary. I, I kind of find this fascinating. But what you, what you are going to see as we do these. Uh, program topics today as we kind of work through all this, you're going to notice a common theme. There is a common theme to all of this. And then in hour number two, we're going to go to Vantage Point Church and uh, listen to a program, uh, to a sermon entitled, God Has Made You Unique. Unique, yeah. The emphasis here, in case you haven't figured out what the emphasis is going to be, um, the emphasis today is going to kind of key in on that biblical passage from 2 Timothy chapter 3. That says this, understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving the good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying it's power. Avoid such people. Now, here's the thing is, is that this prophecy regarding the last times clearly um, is uh, happening today. Um, but the, the thing about this is, is that human beings, because we're born dead in trespasses and sins, this is how human beings are by nature. This is what we're, you know, we're born like. The, what makes this so prophetic is, is that this is discussing a condition in the church. Uh-huh. So because it says in verse 5, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, okay, that keys you in that in the last times you can say, but understand this, in the last times there will come times of difficulty for people in the church uh-huh, will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. You got it? See, that's kind of the idea. So And lovers of self... Um, that's we have a term for that. It's called narcissism. So all of this, the spate of narcissistic eisegesis uh, that we see out there, well, all of this was foretold by the Apostle Paul, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, prophetically warning us of times to come, if you would. And I would seem to think that those times, well, they are here and they are now. So... You get what I'm saying. So to kind of lead off on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith and this theme that we're working on here, um, since we're going to be listening to a Joel Osteen update, well, that requires us to do this. When I'm feeling lonely, sad as I can be, all by myself in an uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw that don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me. My shiny teeth that twinkle. 
Chip Skylark and uh, Shiny Teeth and Me. All right, now, from time to time when we play Joel Osteen segments, we play the commercial that uh, precedes the actual message. We will be doing that uh, today um, because you're going to hear a commercial for their latest gift, uh, you know, for their featured, you know, thing. And it's a teaching series by Joel Osteen entitled Positioned for Greatness. Positioned for Greatness. So here's his message regarding Redeem the Time, but... Uh, it it begins with the commercial with the message series position for greatness. I think that all kind of works together. So here we go. Joel and Victoria would like to send you a copy of Joel's new series, Positioned for Greatness, as a thank you for your support of our ministry this month. In this series, you'll learn that God can take you from a place of feeling anxious and limited to being free to rise above your circumstances. Uh, from being anxious and limited to free to rise above my circumstances. What does this have to do with biblical Christianity? I'm positioning you for greatness. Oh, I'm positioned for greatness. Of course. I mean, everybody knows that I'm the most important person on the planet. And I need to be positioned for greatness. I'm just tired of being limited by all of you little people. It's about time that I was finally set free so that I could experience the greatness of the great things that are great within me. You have hidden treasure on the inside. There are gifts and talents waiting to come out. Don't settle for average. You were created for greatness. Take the limits off yourself, be confident, and step into the amazing future God has in store. This is your time to tap into the seeds of greatness on the inside. Seeds of greatness on the inside, huh? Where where in the Bible does it teach that? It doesn't. Here's Jesus, uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Listen to this. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. (laughs) Jesus says you're evil. Here we go. Matthew chapter 15, uh, verse 15. Peter said to Jesus, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still so? Are you still without understanding? You see, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and then is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, Sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. How come Jesus didn't believe in the fact that we had seeds of greatness sitting on the inside of us? Why didn't he ever tell us that? Why did Jesus tell us all that negative stuff like, you know, out of your heart, you you know, comes evil and adultery and false witness and slander and stuff? Uh Uh-huh. We continue. Request this resource. It will help you become all God's created you to be. Request your copy of Positioned for Greatness today. Well, God bless you. It's always a joy to come into your homes and 
If you're ever in our area, please stop by and be a part of one of our services. I promise you, we'll make you feel right at home. But thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you again for coming out today. And I like to start with something funny. And I heard about this minister. He'd been out bear hunting all day long. Searched and searched through the woods with no sign of a bear. Finally, in frustration, he threw his gun on the ground. He went down to the stream to cool off. About that time, he sees this huge grizzly bear running straight toward him, full force, about a hundred yards away. He fell on his knees and said, God, I need protection. Please convert this bear into a Christian. (laughs) Miraculously, the bear froze in his tracks, lifted both paws toward the heavens, and said, Lord, thank you for this food I'm about to eat. (laughs) Hold up your Bible. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the Word of God. No, you won't. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I want to talk to you today about redeeming the time. Time is one of the most valuable commodities that we have. It's more valuable than money. You can make more money, but you can't make more time. The scripture tells us to redeem the time. That means don't waste it. Don't live this day unfocused, undisciplined, unmotivated. We have a responsibility to use our time wisely. Um, Yeah, the verse he's referencing is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. But he's kind of missing the whole point of that passage. Is Ephesians chapter 5 that important passage found in the Bible about time management? No, it's not. Uh, This is not a time management passage. Um, So let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 5 so we can figure out what's going on. Now, keep in mind, as is pretty standard in Paul's epistles, we get... In chapter 5, we're to kind of the therefores of the gospel. We, having been set free in Christ, saved by grace through faith as a gift, you know, what then, how does that then play out in our lives? So what you're going to hear is hooked into the gospel and is not separate from it. So you can think, you know, you can add that phrase from Romans chapter 12 here to kind of help out so that you keep that focus. You can say, therefore, in light of God's mercies. Okay, so let's let's do that with Ephesians chapter five, verse one. I'll say, therefore, in light of God's mercies, be imitators of God as beloved children. See, because we're saved by grace through faith. So walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Notice notice the gospel centrality here. Now. Because of this, because you've been set free in Christ from sin, death, the devil, the consequences of sin, right? Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. 
For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as, uh, as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, this is important here. If you remember on Tuesday, on Tuesday, we, um, we heard a sermon from a guy who really wanted to talk about the difference between Kairos time and Kronos time. Uh-huh. Now, this is the important part. The verse that Joel Osteen is referencing is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, which what, you know, one translation, I think it's the King James, talks about redeeming the time because the days are evil. Well, the word for time there is not chronos, it's kairos. Kairos meaning time or season. So the season of fall is kairos time, right? This is not chronos, but Joel is talking about not wasting our time chronos. So he doesn't even know what this verse is saying. He doesn't really even care. Um, but let me read again. Let me keep reading a little bit. Then back up to verse fifteen. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the season because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singings and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ." Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Yeah, great stuff here. But you're going to notice the fact that This isn't a passage about time management. And what does it mean to redeem the kairos, the time, the season? Well, it's all the things that Paul was talking about there, about not being sexually immoral, not being foolish, um, not partaking in evil with the sons of disobedience, husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church, all of that stuff. And uh, But see, that's what this passage is about. But what has Joel Osteen done here? He's taken one verse out of context. And it's not even a verse. Redeem the time. And now it's his thesis. And he's supposedly saying, you, you're gonna, I, this is my Bible. I'm going to be taught the word of God. You're not being taught the word of God because he's, he didn't even read the passage. And he's not even paying attention to the context that the phrase that he's given even appears in the book of Ephesians. We're not always going to be here. This day is a gift. Are you living it to the full with purpose and passion, pursuing your dreams? Or are you distracted, indifferent, 
just doing whatever comes along, in a job you don't like, hanging out with people that are pulling you down. That's not redeeming the time. Hanging out with people that are pulling you down. Yeah, those negative people out there, they just want to steal your Christianity. Um, that's wasting the time. Just like you spend money, you are spending your life. You're either investing it or you're wasting it. The first step is you need to set goals. Short-term goals. How come these short-term goals are not mentioned in the book of Ephesians where the, uh, the wording about redeeming the time shows up? And long-term goals. What do you want to accomplish this week? Where do you want to be five years from now? Do you have a plan? Are you taking steps to get there? Don't go another three years on a job you don't like, doing something that you're not passionate about. Life is flying by. This is your one shot. You don't get a do-over. We can't relive our 20s, relive our 30s. Once this day is over, we can never get it back. And Paul said in Ephesians, make the most of every opportunity. Don't be vague and thoughtless, but live purposefully and accurately. Accurately, huh? That's apparently Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, um, which I just read. Look carefully how then you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of the kairos, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I mean, what is he preaching here? Make the most of every opportunity. Don't be vague and thoughtless, but live accurately and purposefully. That is not what Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 is. Um, so he's, be, he's telling people to live accurately while he's not being accurate in his handling of God's word. Oh, that makes sense. If you're going to reach your highest potential, you have to be an on-purpose person. Ah, my highest potential, because I'm so great, you know. So are you an on-purpose person? Apparently, um, Ephesians chapter 5 is telling you to do that so that you can be great. Yet when I read it in context, in a good translation, it doesn't say any of that. You know where you're going. You're not vague, distracted, waiting to see what happens. No, you're focused. You're making the most of each opportunity. Let me put it more practical. Staying on social media hours a day, catching up on the latest gossip is not redeeming the time. Yeah, st staying on social media, like the Fighting for the Faith uh, Facebook page and, you know, you know, looking at those hateful uh, status updates that Roseboro sends out, that's not redeeming the time. Playing video games hours a day when you could be studying is not redeeming the time. Talking on the phone hours a day to a friend that's not going anywhere, that has no dreams, is not redeeming the time. Whoa. Talking on the phone to a friend who doesn't have dreams... Since when did that become a biblical requirement for a Christian to have a friend? Huh. Wow. That's horrible. God has given you a present. It's called today. What are you going to do with it? This is a call to action. 
Get focused. Get organized. Set your goals. Make your plans. God could have chosen anyone to be here, but he chose you. And the scripture told me... Boy, that makes me sound so important, huh? Who God could have chosen anyone to be here, but he chose you because you are so important. You are so great. Talks about living well-spent lives. When we go to bed at night, we should ask ourselves, did I live a well-spent day? How is it that Joel Osteen goes to bed at night without major pangs of guilt regarding this idea of having a well-spent life when he spends his time twisting God's word and making it say things that it doesn't say anywhere? How is that time well spent or redeemed? Answer, it isn't. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Uh, Terry Savelle Foy update and a Jesse Duplantis, the money-grabbing televangelist uh, update. Don't want to miss it. We will be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> In other news, it seems that the inhabitants of Earth are not the only ones subject to economic slumps. Jensen Franklin, through direct revelation from God, has given us information that says that the unemployment rate within God's own army has drastically risen. Take a listen. An angel came and opened the doors and broke the chains. My point to you is simply this. When you don't pray, angels become unemployed. The greatest tragedy of prayerlessness is the unemployment of angels. Because when you pray, God gives angels their, their orders. When you pray, the spiritual battle in the heavenlies begins to be armed with the prayers of the saints and people binding. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Attention, angels. This is uh, the Holy Spirit. I have an announcement regarding the uh, latest downturn in the economy. And I understand that a lot of you have been unemployed lately due to a lack of prayer. And I wish there was something that I could do about this. But, you know, I feel so powerless when it comes to these kind of things. 
Um, we, uh, we've uh, created a welfare uh, basket, uh, spiritual relief type of thing. And uh, so those of you who have uh, been hit hard by the latest downturn and are now finding yourselves unemployed, uh, please uh, proceed over to the uh, <clears throat> relief office and uh, we'll see what we can do to help you out. Thank you. All right, all right, everyone just calm down. Thank you. Now, I know that none of you care to be here, but since we're experiencing a worldwide shortage of prayer, it would behoove you to keep calm and allow us to do our jobs. Gabriel, put your wings down. There's not nearly enough room for that. And Michael, Michael, don't cut in line. I know you're the big cheese around here, but all of us have been affected equally. Wait your turn. Next! What's your name? George. George. Yeah, whatever. Where'd you fly in from? South Orange County, California. California? That's frontline enemy territory. How many tours have you done down in that kill box? About nine. Oh, you're quite the veteran. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's Rick Warren's territory, right? Yeah, he's got most of the people down there praying for purpose, better sex, other useless junk like that. Those idiots don't even realize they don't need God for such things. I hear you on that one. Now, I know it's not much, but this is what I can give you. It's our premium spiritual relief basket. Thank you. I'll be sure to put this to good use. (laughs) I know you will. Next! What's your name, bub? Harold. Okay, Harold. Where you hailing from? Charlotte, North Carolina. Good gravy. You must really be hurting. Everyone knows that Stephen Furtick's neck of the woods is just filled to bursting with heretical slop. Uh, what are they praying for nowadays? It's the strangest thing. They keep praying to the sun, telling it to stand still. I don't get it. Those morons! Don't they know nothing about astrophysics? If they were to stop the sun, they'd burn half the world to a crisp. Moon rocks have higher IQs than those dingbats. All right, got a relief basket for you. I greatly appreciate the help. (laughs) I know, you're welcome. Next! And your name is... Bob. Bob? I swear, angels these days. All right, Bob, lay it on me. Where you from? Vatican City. Vatican City? (laughs) Are those bozos still praying to dead people and inanimate objects? More than ever. You know, that really frosts my cookies. I mean, seriously. Take Mary, for example. That poor woman has been dead for millennia. She's not answering prayers. Who was the dumb schmuck that thought praying to her would do anything in the first place? Humans! They're so darn gullible sometimes. Anyway, here's your relief basket. <laughs> Sorry. Just getting real tired of that. Happens every time I give someone a basket. Next! Don't pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's Featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, 
we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Morning. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your favorite narcissistic pastor who's focusing you on you and telling you how great you are, rather than telling you to repent of your sins. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith. That's it. It's a great way to support us. And, of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along, it's time for a Terry Savelle Foy update. That requires us to do this. Hiya, Bobby. Hi, Ken. You want to go for a ride? Sure, Ken. Jump in. I'm a Bobby girl in the Bobby world. Black and plastic. It's fantastic. You can brush my hair. Yeah, that's right. I'm a Barbie girl. (laughs) There's something wrong with playing that. Anyway, um, uh, the latest video from Terry Savelle Foy asked the question, Are your wheels just spinning? That's right. Are your wheels just spinning? And uh, now for the, I mean, clearly deep biblical teaching of Terry Savelle Foy uh, to answer this question. Here we go. Hey, thank you for watching this week. You know, I want to talk to you about your future, about the destination that you are headed towards. You mean like the destination that, you know, the two different destinations that are mentioned in like, the book of Matthew, chapter 25. Let's take a look at that real quick. <clears throat> Matthew, chapter 25. I, I will begin um, at verse 31. Okay, here's what it says. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all of the nations. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. I mean, is is this what you're talking about, Terry? Our our destination, as far as you know, this is concerned, the day of judgment, and so he will place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, "Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food; I was thirsty, you gave me drink; I was a stranger, and you welcomed me." By the way, the judgment took place before any of this was mentioned. 
They were separated by what they were, not what they did, whether they were a sheep or a goat. That, that, a lot of people misread that, and as a result of it, they think Jesus is saying that you're being judged by, you, you, you go to heaven or hell based upon social justice and whether or not you gave a sandwich to a poor person. Uh-uh. You're, you, you are judged based on whether you are a sheep or a goat. Sheep trust in Christ. They are regenerate. Goats are dead in trespasses and sins. So, so he says to the sheep, um, you know, the king will say to his, those on his right, the sheep, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, uh-huh, as Christians, you did it to me. It's not just feeding the poor. It's, it's caring for Christ's brothers, those who trust in him. So then we got to the goats. So then he will say to those on his left, these are the goats, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. And sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they will answer saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger, naked or sick or in prison and not minister to you? Notice that they... They cared so little about Christians that they, you know, didn't even listen to him or take care of him, right? Yeah, and so then he will answer them, truly I say to you, you did not, if you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So, the, and these will go away to into eternal punishment, hmm? the righteous into eternal life. Straight up, there you go. So, uh, so Terry's asking the question, you know, are you focusing on your destination? And since this is supposedly about Christian theology, I mean, that's what she's talking about, right? You know, our destination is either heaven or hell, right? You know, have you ever been on a cruise? You know, those big giant party boats where you get to eat unlimited ice cream? Um, yeah, actually, I, I'm, I've been on two cruises in my lifetime. One is a graduation present, and then one, one really early on in my marriage, yeah. You know, years ago, my husband and I went on a cruise for our 20th wedding anniversary to Venice, Italy. It was the most amazing cruise I've ever been on. I've only been on like three, but it was so amazing to see Venice, to ride the gondola, and then to go to all these little places through the Greek Isles, like Mykonos, Santorini, riding a crazy donkey up a hill. It- <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I, lo- I love how you're regaling us with your personal life stories, especially the stories of <clears throat> your cruise to Venice. Um, what does this have to do with anything regarding God and what he's, his will is for our lives and, you know, Christian doctrine and things like that? It really was quite an experience. And, you know, for my husband, he's in love with Venice, Italy now. It's his favorite place. And so we argue about Venice, Paris, Venice, Paris. But it was the most amazing cruise I've ever been on. However, I was reading recently about this, these cruises that allow people to take them. And it's called a cruise to nowhere. Uh-huh. This is like, uh, I should call this the theology to nowhere. In fact, they just basically circle <laughs> certain places over and over with no particular destination in mind. Kind of like this video. And it's really to just give people a sample 
of life at sea without totally committing to this full-on cruise. Well, there's nothing really wrong with that, except that they are missing out on, you know, the exotic islands and riding the gondola and seeing historical landmarks and things like that. There's nothing really wrong. I mean, that might be fun for a couple of days, but the problem is a lot of people are spending their lives on this journey to nowhere. Yeah, see, see, that's the thing is, is that if you understand what Scripture says, none of us are on a journey to nowhere. All of us are on a journey to somewhere, either eternal life or eternal punishment. So, I mean, I'm kind of at a loss as to how you, who are supposedly teaching us something about God's will for our lives, are kind of like clueless about this fact. No plan, no destination, no map, just circling the same issues year after year, looking at the same scenery, the same circumstances, and eventually running out of fuel. Uh huh. You mean dying, right? Well, I want you to realize you have a destination to pursue. Uh huh. Right. Heaven or hell, right? You have goals to attain. You have an assignment to fulfill. Um, you're talking temporal. Uh, what What's my temporal assignment? Well, it kind of seems like at the moment it's about um, debunking false doctrines. So that's my assignment from God, and that's why I'm debunking what you're saying. In fact, listen to this. I read this recently. It said, quite possibly, the most important action successful people take is dedicating the time to discover what they're on earth to do and then pursue it with a passion. Yeah, you weren't reading that from the Bible. So think about that. All right. What were you born to do? What were um, Debunk heretics? you put on this earth to do and then discover it and pursue it with passion. That's what I'm doing right now. You know, I'm constantly amazed how ideas, opportunities, resources, and relationships seem to gravitate to the person who has a clear vision and purpose. Uh-huh. Um, I have no idea what this has to do with biblical Christianity. None whatsoever. What is everybody's obsession with themselves? It's as if Paul could like see the future and saw right into the present and saw the you know what the steady diet of Christian uh, you know he had to put that in air quotes teaching would be today. Now you might have to break that down. Really think about it. Ideas. You see people getting ideas, and you're like, where did they get that? Or opportunities. You see people getting all these opportunities that you're just wishing for one. Or resources. They seem to have the funds to do what they need to do relationships. You're like, how did they meet them? Ideas, opportunities, resources, and relationships seem to gravitate to the person who has a clear vision and a clear purpose. Uh And where am I supposed to get this clear vision from? Direct revelation from God? Well, that's what I want for you, to stop wondering what you're supposed to do with your life and start preparing for what you're supposed to do with your life. That's what you want me to do? Okay. I don't... Yeah. Why would I allow you to boss me around? So I just want to share two points with you today. Number one, take 100% responsibility for where you are. Okay. Well, I'm behind a microphone I'm debunking your false teaching. I, I take full responsibility for it. Now, that can be a painful thing or it can be exciting. It was neither. I was reading a book the other day. A success- was it a Bible? Book, and the first chapter was all about... 
take 100% responsibility for your life. Right. In other words, you are where you are today as a sum total of the decisions you made yesterday. Uh-huh. And you know, you think about that, you kind of have to get real with yourself and say, no more excuses, no more blaming other people, and no more complaining. Right. All you have to do is look at the Israelites. You know how they complained year after year about their circumstances. That was because of their lack of faith. They didn't trust Christ. And that word complain actually means to remain. You will stay where you are if you keep complaining. That- uh, <laughs> so there's our Bible nugget in this painful video. That's the result. Complain means remain. So we have to look at life and say, I'm going to stop blaming other people for where I'm at. I'm going to stop making excuses about the condition of my life and where I'm at. And I'm going to take 100% responsibility. Yeah, well, I feel so much better now. Okay. um, How is it that this is Christian preaching? This is Christian teaching. This is something that people are tuning in to listen to and to be taught about as if this has anything to do with what the Bible says at all. This is nonsense. Narcissistic nonsense at that. I mean, I don't know what to make of that. Anyway, moving along. Don't want no loving. Don't want no kissing. Don't want no gal to call me honey. Don't want my name in the Hall of Fame. Just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce. Hear me Time for a money-grubbing televangelist update. Waller in Mazuma. Eldenero want to be a millionaire. Give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition. That's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits. I'm a demon in addition. Give me shekels. Give me pesos. Let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. Want to get me a suit that's made out of oof. And whistle for wear it in green. I got that monetary addis. Like me, just like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. And there's some I can and beagle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. That's right. That's Dr. <laughs> Teeth and money, money, money. All right, so what we're going to be listening to, <laughs> kind of like a double whammy here, this is from a couple of years ago, and uh, Jesse Duplantis uh, appeared on the Christian Broadcasting Network um, with Pat Robertson talking about his book, uh, The Everyday Visionary. And I think this is kind of the missing theology uh, that was kind of maybe behind the scenes of what Terry Savelle Foy was uh, up to. But we're going to play this segment from uh, CBN and listen very carefully to the me-focused narcissistic nonsense that we're hearing here. Uh, that kind of seems to be the focus of today's Fighting for the Faith. It's all about me. <clears throat> Here's um, uh, Pat Robertson to explain. An amazing four out of five Americans say they've abandoned their dream jobs and settle for their day jobs. Oh, no, this is tragic. <laughs> this is terrible. Can you believe it? A bunch of people out there with dead dreams. Oh, man, the world is coming apart. Our next guest says it's never too late to start living your dream, and he should know he's been living his for more than three decades. Yeah, wow. Wow. I just let my light shine. I just let my light shine. That's all. 
They said, you're so happy. I said, J-E-S-U-S. Just thought I'd tell you, boys. Jesse Duplantis has been preaching and sharing stories from his life for more than 30 years. Yeah, that's kind of the important part. Did you catch what they just said there? Jesse Duplantis has been preaching and sharing stories from his life for more than 30 years. I mean, there it was. I mean, they weren't even trying to hide it. I mean, don't you think that anybody who calls themselves a Christian pastor, that, you know, when they've done it for 30 years, they should say such and such is a pastor. And for 30 years, he's been preaching and proclaiming the word of God. No, that's not what we hear about Jesse Duplantis. Jesse Duplantis for 30 years has been preaching stories from his life. Yeah, let me back that up just a smidge because I think it's worth hearing again. Here we go. Say you're so happy. I said, J-E-S-U-S. Just thought I'd tell you, boys. Jesse Duplantis has been preaching and sharing stories from his life for more than 30 years. (laughs) I've been happy. I have been enjoying myself. I enjoy being saved. Why? Because God is able. Jesse's ministry reaches millions of people around the world, achieving the vision he was given by God. Ah, direct vision from God. So he's a vision-casting leader, one of the earliest, huh? Okay. And he preaches stories from his life. Crazy. You'd like to get a lawsuit. In his latest book, The Everyday Visionary, Jesse shares insight into how to make your dreams and goals a reality. Oh, yeah, because that's what Christianity is all about, making your dreams and goals a reality. Wow. And yet Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow him. Weird. Well, would you please welcome author and minister Jesse Duplantis. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Thank you. You have more fun. Yes, sir. I enjoy being saved. I tried sad. I didn't like it. It didn't work at all. (laughs) It didn't work at all. You know, I'm the architect of my life, Pat. Uh, (laughs) That's quite the confession. I'm the architect of my life. Wow. And yet scripture says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith and that we are his creatures. So um, apparently Jesse Duplantis is a little God. I mean, here's a funny thing. This is on the Christian Broadcasting Network, right? They just put that right out there. I mean, they didn't see any problem with this theology. They just think this is what Christianity is all about. It's all about me. And Jesse Duplantis is the architect of his life. I made up my mind. I said, you know, God, God said I could have the joy of the Lord. Yeah. That doesn't mean that Satan doesn't attack me. It doesn't mean trouble doesn't come. But I, I, his joy cometh in the morning, so I just wait for morning. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> New every morning. So. New every morning. Like interviewing Foghorn Leghorn. Morning. You started uh, kind of uh, poor surroundings in yes, Louisiana. Sir. Tell us about it. Well, I was, I was born a very, uh, well, we were born in poverty a lot. Uh-huh. But I made up my mind that poverty is a curse. Yeah. That the best thing you could do for the poor is to not to be poor. So mm-hmm. then you could help the poor. So I began to think that way. And my yeah. mother said, I always had ideas. I knew I had to do something, but at that time I didn't know what to do. Yeah. So at five or six years old, you know, mama said, he's a little businessman. Then my daddy asked me one time, what you want for, uh, for Christmas? I said, get me a lawnmower. 
He said, a lawnmower? What are you going to do? I said, Daddy, I'm going in the cutting grass business. <laughs> Five years old. Oh, yeah, I was ready. You know? <laughs> of course, they, get, you know, they pay you 50 cents to cut a whole acre then. <laughs> you know? But at least I was able to do something so I could be a, a blessing. I bought my mother's first real washing machine. Yeah. Saved my money and did it. And she said, this boy thinks. You know, I said, I knew I had a destiny and a destination, and I was going to get there. Well, this- uh-huh. Well, you knew you had a density. Yeah. Book, Everyday Visionary. Yes, uh, people have dreams, but most of them don't ever get their dreams fulfilled. Yes. Oh, poor people out there. I mean, I'm so glad that Jesus is in the dream fulfillment business. So, and I'll tell you why. Right. See, God gives you a dream, but and when he gives you a dream, that's wonderful. But if you don't have a plan to that dream, right. you got problems on your hand. God gave the most powerful man named uh, Pharaoh a dream, but it didn't help him. Until he got that slave fellow named Joseph to interpret it. But after they interpreted it, didn't help him neither. Yeah. And he said, well, what should we do? Joseph said, I got a plan. So God didn't give the power to the man with the dream. He gave the power to the man with the plan. Oh, man. Really, that's what you're going to do with probably one of the most important Christological characters in the book of Genesis. Yeah, I mean, again... According to the book of Hebrews, what's in the Old Testament is type and shadow, and it points us to Christ. So, you know, one of the clearest Christ characters in the book of Genesis is Joseph, and you've stripped mind it so that now we've got the man with the plan as the one who's got the power with, rather than the one with the dream and, and, and destiny and all this kind of stuff. This is a complete mangling of that story. What's this mental mapping you're talking about? Okay, I found out that, you know, people call Abraham the father of faith, but he's more than that. He's the father of mental mapping. He knew God built... <laughs> Abraham's the father of mental mapping? What? Built something. Right. He was looking for a city with foundations whose builder and maker was God. Okay. And at times, he, you know, he, he'd, uh, he'd say, what, what should I do? God took him out and said, look at all the stars. I'm going to give you children like that. Mm-hmm. Now, he told him that as an old man. I mean, think about that. But he had to put it in his mind. So this is not a self-empowerment book because I want something that works. Mm-hmm. And God works. And-, uh, and what makes you think that God's going to work in this way? If, but you're going to have to work it what he gives you. And I made up my mind that God will do whatever we can believe for. I'm, I'm really, you know, when you're, when you're. I've made up my mind that God will do whatever we believe for. You made up your mind. Um, so the, the Bible doesn't teach this. This is what Jesse DePlantis has made up his mind that God will do. I got it. Okay. Your memories overwhelm your dreams. You're in serious problems. Yeah, if your memories are bigger than your dreams. Yes, sir. And the reason for that is people are always living in the past, but the past never sees the future. Mm -hmm. See, so, I mean, every day I am looking forward. It's not just one vision. It's an everyday vision. If he told us to go in the... It's not just one vision. It's an everyday vision. Oh, wow. That that changes everything. Well, preach the gospel to every creature. Well, let's do that. But how do we do that? Well, that's easy. All we got to do is step out by faith and God will do the rest. That's right. I have convinced. Yeah, what passage says that again, Jesse? It's myself that God can't lie. <laughs> I am persuaded. I'm persuaded, right. brother. <laughs> what do you see coming down the road? Uh, you know, there are all kinds of things happening in our country and around yes, the world. Has the Lord showed you anything? Yes, sir. I'll tell you what's happening. Uh, let's get some direct revelation from Jesse regarding our 
country in the world. God says, you're the architect, that, uh, I'm the architect of my life. There's a lot of trouble out there, but God has an answer. Yeah. I'm, a person told me the other day, I can't afford $4 gasoline. I said, I remember my dad couldn't afford 29 cents a gallon gasoline. Yeah. That ain't going to change it. I yeah. said, what you need to do is don't l- make a living, make a giving. If you live by your giving, yeah. God will make a living for you. <laughs> I'm preaching now. I can't help myself. Uh, live, make a living by your giving. In other words, you're given to get. Yeah. God doesn't teach that in his word either. But see, here's the deal. You know why these books and these messages and these television programs are so popular? Uh, The reason why is because they're scratching itching ears. And, you know, we are living in the time, those treacherous times when people would be lovers of themselves. Jesse Duplantis is the architect of his life. He is the epitome of a lover of himself. Yeah, unfortunately, um, that's not the biblical doc- gospel. That's not sound biblical doctrine. Uh, they're teaching uh, narcissism, and uh, God's word tells us to avoid men like that. All right, we are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, more of loving yourself kind of preaching and teaching god has made you unique sermon review from vantage point don't want to miss it we'll be right back jesus did not die for your 401k you're listening to fighting for the faith pirate christian radio theater presents death of a salesman are ye a salesman why yes i am can i interest you in some listening to Byron Christian Radio. No, seriously. Starfleet wouldn't have lasted two minutes against the Death Star. Say what you want, dude. Why can't you admit that Star Trek created proton torpedoes first? So what are you saying? Without proton torpedoes, Luke Skywalker would never have been able to destroy the Death Star in the first place. Nuh-uh, bro. He had the Force. You mean metachlorians? That never happened. Those movies were just bad fanfics. Have you two seen any Daleks around here? Uh, no. That's funny. We just picked up a distress signal and decided to check it out. Well, we haven't seen any... Come on, you two! Get in! Run! Never fear, nerds of the world. It doesn't matter whether you're into Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who. Think Geek has something for almost every fandom around. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio.
All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. Yeah, in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. Hearing a lot of self-love today. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Scary stuff. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via vantage point church chino california mark lee presiding the name of the sermon is god has made you unique that's right you are the apple of god's eye you are just so amazing you are spectacularific you have a destiny you have a purpose you 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 isn't it great that god just you know recognizes how important you are yeah <clears throat> let me go ahead and kill the music and we'll just get right to the sermon <clears throat> yeah i think he, i've made my point here's mark lee and god has made you unique well good morning everybody my name is mark lee i'm one of the pastors here at vantage point church and this morning like everybody's saying we're starting a brand new series called the i am vantage point church and it's all about finding and fulfilling your own unique purpose finding and fulfilling your own unique purpose you know because you know you gotta if you gotta have a destination you know don't want to wander around your life aimlessly you know like terry savelle foy was talking about with those like cruises to nowhere I want to start out by saying this. You don't have to go very far in the world to realize that God just loves variety. You know, even if you were to look around this. Yeah, so, there, so we're going to argue from the creation. God just loves variety. Okay. Point number one, God loves variety. You would see that all of us comes in different shapes and sizes and colors and temperaments and personalities. God loves variety. Did you know that this God has created over 300,000 different species of beetles? I mean, does anybody think that that's creative overkill? You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't you and I have been equally as impressed if we heard that God created over 50,000 different species of beetles? We would still be like, wow, that is amazing, God. And yet still, God still went to the trouble of creating over 300,000 different species of beetles. You know why? Because God loves variety. Did you you know, know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. I think you might want to talk about something like that. In one cubic foot of snow that there are over 18 million snowflakes and not two of those snowflakes are alike. I mean... I mean, God would have been the only one to have noticed that. I mean, doesn't God have anything better to do with his time than to create 18 million different snowflakes in one cubic foot of snow? And yet God did it anyway. You know why? Because God loves variety. You know, even with people, God loves variety. I mean, have you ever gone people watching at Scandia before? God loves variety. I mean, God... 
created each and every one of those individuals. And God created you. And God created me. Uh, Psalm 139 verse 13 it says this. For you, that God is the one who created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully, and say that word with me, wonderfully made. That you and I are not... Mm. I want to take a look at Psalm 139. My, uh, my interest is piqued. Psalm 139. Let me read it. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uppermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you formed my innermost parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. I do not hate those... I, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. A great song. Yeah, and who is it about? It's really about the Lord, not about me, and how wonderful he is, and me being his creation, and wonderful and fearfully made as a result of his great power and his awesome wonderfulness. Hmm. A, a, a byproduct of random chance that you and I did not just emerge from some primordial soup, but that God has known you, has known who you are ever since the beginning of time. And that God is the one who has knit you together in your mother's womb. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, for we are God's, say that word with me, handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which You're going to quote Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Ephesians 2.10. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 is part of a major thought that Paul is developing in that chapter. And you know, the, the punchline is this, not that you are God's workmanship, it's that for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yeah, it's interesting. Psalm 139 and Ephesians 2 have much in common. They're both focusing us on how great our God is and how merciful he is. So um, we got a problem here. The emphasis is clearly on the wrong syllable when it comes to this message prepared in advance for us to do. That word, handiwork in the Greek, is a very interesting word. It's the Greek word poema, and that's where we get the word poem from. That you and I are God's poem. That you and I are... Yeah, no, no, no. This is not how you do that. Um, yeah, it is where we get the word poem from. But poema in that context does not mean poem. It doesn't say we are God's poem. It says we are God's workmanship. That's what poema means in that context in this passage. You don't turn around and say, oh, because we get the word poem from it, that means, therefore, we are God's poem. No, that's a twisting of God's word. God's artistry, that you and I are God's handiwork, that we are his mastery, that we are his craftsmanship, that there is no one else that God has created just like us. Just like, I want you to think about it this way. Just like Beethoven has only created one fifth symphony, just like Leonardo da Vinci only created one Mona Lisa, just like me. Man, I am so amazing, aren't I? Wow, I'm just the bee's knees. Only created one, I will do anything for love. I want you to think about it this way. So God has only created one you. That there is no one in the history of the world that God has ever created just like you. Never has been. Yeah, but see, here's the problem. Just like every other unique person out there of the 7 billion unique people that are running around the planet, the one thing we all have in common despite our uniqueness is that we're all born dead in trespasses and sins. That's a problem will be that God when God created you he broke the mold there are no carbon copies of you that you are an original that you are unique that if you were to go searching in this entire world that you would never ever find anybody with your unique fingerprint with your unique footprint with your unique butt print with your unique mm, boy well, I'm so happy I have one of those um yet I have Pretty much like everybody else, two arms, two legs, two feet, two hands, a nose, a mouth. Um, I, you know, for the most part, even despite all of the uniqueness down in the intricate details, I seem to be of the same species as everybody else. And, you know, well, and all of us die. We're born dead in trespasses and sins. But you skipped verses uh, eight and nine in Ephesians chapter two. So clearly you're not interested in preaching that, right? Retina scan that you are unique. Why don't you turn to your neighbor next to you and say, you are unique. Why don't you turn to your other neighbor and say, I am unique. Do you know how you catch a unique rabbit? Unique up on it. You know how you catch a tame rabbit? The tame way.
That was really bad. (laughs) But here's what I want you to think about, and here's what I want you to consider this morning. And just as God has made you unique, God has also created for you this special and this unique purpose in this life and in this generation that only you can fulfill. Bible verse, please. Why are you teaching this as Christian doctrine? I don't know any passage that actually tells us that this is what we're supposed to be focusing on or teaching at all. Where in the history of the Christian church have been all the great purpose-driven preachers? Let me say that one more time. That just as God has created you unique, God has also created you with a special And a unique purpose that only you can fulfill in this world. Notice how this message just is totally narcissistic. It engenders pride and self-love. I sat down with somebody. um, There's somebody in our church who passed away about a month ago. And his name was uh, Clark Riddell. Uh, Can I tell you, that, that, that was... It was something that really rocked our church community. He was, he was so young. He was so well-known and so well-liked amongst so many of us. And um, I sat down with Clark after his first brain hemorrhage. And he was talking to me saying, you know, Mark, like, I don't know why this happened. Like, I don't know why I'm still alive. I don't know. I mean, this whole thing just doesn't make sense. People who have brain hemorrhages don't survive to talk about it. And then he kind of paused for a moment and he said, you know what, Mark? I bet you God's work for me in this life still isn't done yet. And I said, you know what, Clark? That's right. That's absolutely right. Can I tell you this? If you still have blood in you today, and if you still have breath in you today, it is only because God has a special and unique ministry that only you can fulfill. Again, do you, can you give me a chapter and verse on this, please? I want to see the fine print in God's word on this doctrine. It is only because he has a specific mission for you that only you can take care of in this world and in this lifetime. And in fact, many people call this a kingdom purpose. I even have a definition of a kingdom purpose up on the screen that a kingdom purpose is your specific contribution to the body of Christ within your generation that causes you to totally depend on God and display his love toward others all through your own spiritual gifts. I want you to go again. I need chapter and verse that teaches kingdom purposes. Read this definition with me. Let's all read it together. A kingdom purpose is your specific contribution to the body of Christ within your generation that causes you to totally depend on God and display his love toward others all through your own spiritual gifts. Here's what you have to understand. That your kingdom purpose is much more than a career. That your kingdom purpose extends even beyond your family, that your kingdom purpose is a special commissioning. 
that God has specifically for you to make a significant impact in the world and in the generation. That Again, chapter and verse, please. You keep telling me how important me and my mission is. I need uh, you to demonstrate this from God's word in context. Live in. A kingdom purpose is going to be the banner of your life that you wave for the glory of God. Now, one of the ways that you can understand your uniqueness and how that fits within the context of God's kingdom purpose is by understanding your own spiritual gifts. Let me explain that to you, what a spiritual gift is. Just like when you were born physically, God gave you certain physical gifts, let's say, the gift of the gift of sight and sound and touch and taste and smell, that God has given you certain gifts. When you were born, you had even certain natural abilities that we're going to be talking about next week. Maybe you had musical abilities. Maybe you had athletic abilities. I was given neither of those two, by the way. Just like when you were born... Physically, you had physical gifts that were given to you. Likewise, when you were born spiritually, you also had a spiritual gift that was given to you. You had at least one spiritual gift that was given to you. A gift that was supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit. Each and every believer, if you call upon the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have at least one spiritual gift. I don't have a problem with this per se, but this doesn't actually prove the underlying main point that you've been uh, making, that I've got some incredible thing that I've got to accomplish in this life. That spiritual gift was not something that you chose. That spiritual gift was something that was chosen for you. That spiritual gift was not something that you earned. That spiritual gift was something that was given to you by the grace of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'd be a lot more comfortable if you would open up the Bible and actually exegete a passage. So, and so what I want to do today is I want to look at four different sections of Scripture that all talk about and list these spiritual gifts. And all right, good. We're finally going to get to God's Word. But the problem is the major premise of the sermon, the emphasis is on the wrong syllable. It's on me. Go ahead and do a study about these spiritual gifts. And I want to even kind of journey together to ask the question, like, what might be the spiritual gift that you might have? I'll talk about the spiritual gift that I have. You can maybe even as we think about these and as we talk about these different gifts, I want you to already be thinking about, huh, I wonder what the gift is that God has given me. If you have your Bibles this morning, why don't you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. And why don't we all stand as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. First Corinthians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. The Apostle Paul is going to list off several of these spiritual gifts. And like I said, there are four different places of Scripture where we see this. If you want to know almost by memory where these gifts are, just remember the number 12 and just remember the number 4. 
what you'll find is that you'll, you'll find these gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, um, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. 12, 12, 4, 4. That's where you will find the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. It says this, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. A me- now, notice here, he's starting at verse 8. Man, why is he not giving a full teaching here? Verse tw- Chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Uh, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except for in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay. Yeah, building up of the church here. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, uh, to another gifts of healing uh, by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophesying, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Huh? For just as the one body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one Spirit. For the body does not consist in one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Now notice here, the gifts of the Spirit are designed to be utilized in the building up of the church. Maybe that's why he's ripping 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, uh, out of context and just focusing in on 8 through 10, so that nobody thinks that this is just limited to the church, because he wants you to understand that you have a unique purpose in life. So he's trying to somehow make the gifts a little bit more broad in their application. Wisdom, that's a spiritual gift. To another, a message of knowledge, that is a spiritual gift by means of the same spirit. To another, faith. Did you know that some people in this church have something called the gift of faith? That they have a faith in difficult circumstances or they have faith to look at um, different people through just almost a different set of eyes. But to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit. Incredible. To another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits. There are people in our church that can almost walk into a room and distinguish between like can see something in the spiritual realm that you and I cannot. Um, uh, you make them sound like psychics. <sighs> something in the spiritual realm that you and I cannot. Um, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. Why don't you skip down to verse 28 with me? 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. He's going to list off some more gifts. And God has placed in the church. So, so he's just using the text to find the list. Got it. Not to give us any explanation as to what they're for, because he's already set this all up about you finding your purpose. First of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing. Some people have the gift of helping, and some people have the gift of guidance, and some people have the gift of different kinds of tongues. You guys can go ahead and have a seat this morning. I'm not going to go ahead and make you stand through all of this. Okay, now turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, the Apostle Paul is going to list off some more spiritual gifts for us. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through through 8, it says this. We have all been given different gifts, and that is the truth, that you and I have not been given the same gifts, according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. That is your gift. That is your contribution to the body of Christ in, or, in, in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, if some of you have the gift of serving. Contribution to the body of Christ. I hope he keeps it focused on that because, like I said, the setup here is all about how unique you are in finding your unique mission and purpose. Then go ahead and serve. Don't just, don't just put it under a bowl. Don't just hide it. Don't just not do anything with it. If it is teaching, if you have the gift of teaching, then you better be a small group leader. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give it generously. Amen and amen to that. If- yeah, um, small group leaders. These are people who are supposedly teaching the Christian faith, but many small group leaders have no training to do so. I've been to many churches uh, and have seen many churches where the, about the only thing necessary to become a small group leader is that you have a pulse and a DVD player. That, <laughs> yeah, you look at the qualifications for a teacher in the church. That's your qualifications for a quote-unquote small group leader. To lead, if it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, some people have the gift of mercy. I can tell you right now, I do not have that gift. Um, If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Okay, now why don't you turn to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians... Galatians, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets. Okay, so that's the gift of prophecy, the evangelist. There's the gift of, there's the gift of evangelism. That some people can share their faith in such a winsome and such an appropriate way that, that, that other people want to hear about Jesus Christ from them. The evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Um, you can almost guess who has that gift. Okay, now I'm not going to make you turn to 1 Peter 4 because he kind of rehashes a couple of the different gifts. But he talks about the gifts of speaking and he talks again about the gift of serving. Can I tell you this? Each and every one of you guys have at least one of these gifts. 
Out of all of these gifts that we've talked about, if you have called upon the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have been given. You know, one of the first questions that people ask is, is this an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts? And theologians have gone back and forth on that one issue. And my answer for you is, honestly, like, I don't know. I don't know if this is an exhaustive list. I don't know if this isn't an exhaustive list. All I know is this, that you have been given at least one of these spiritual gifts. And some of you are hearing this one idea for the first time. That not only do you have maybe natural abilities that you've all always in your life kind of tuned into. That maybe you've been naturally good at math. Or maybe you've been naturally good at writing. That not only have you been given these natural gifts. But this is maybe the first time that you've ever heard this idea That when you became a Christian, that God gave you a spiritual gift. An ability that is not natural. An ability that is supernatural. An ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that effectiveness from that, yes, comes through time. Yeah, again, I can tell you the thing that's making me really nervous here is that we just scoured the scripture to find the list to the, where the different gifts are listed, but the theology that precedes that list in, the, in, the, in that passage and those passages and the theology that follows those lists, that wasn't preached. So we're getting, um, we're getting this guy's uh, theology regarding the list. This is I, this is making me really nervous. Why do I feel like we're not going to hear it correctly? Training, but the effectiveness in that gift also comes because of the fact that God is the one who is that God has essentially given you a superpower, a power that is beyond any of the other powers that you have. Can I? Not only are you you are you unique, you have a superpower. Where's the emphasis again? Oh, man. This, one of the greatest truths that I've ever uncovered in my life is not only this truth that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, not only the truth that there is joy in coming into a relationship with Him, but probably the greatest truth that I've uncovered in my own life is the fact that God has given me a spiritual gift. Do you know why? Do you know why that's so important? Because it solves your identity problem as a Christian. Yeah, there, see, there it is. Um, boy. Um, <clears throat> so you go and you find the spiritual gift lists in uh, Corinthians and Romans, um, but you don't read any of the theology in those passages, so now we can just change it. Oh, So this is an identity issue. Well, if that's the case, how come um, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 doesn't talk about that and Romans doesn't say that either? (sighs) Yeah, that's right. The emphasis is clearly on the I, me syllable. See, there's so many times where when it comes to a bigger group, unless you're like in a family of five, where even in a family of five, sometimes you're like, well, I don't really know what my place is and I don't know how I belong. You know, Susie's the smart one and Ricky's the, you know, the athletic one and so-and-so is the real pretty one. And I just don't know where I belong. See, with the, the great thing about the spiritual gift is all of a sudden it solves your identity problem as a Christian. 
This is your role. This is your place. This is where you fit in. That just like every basketball team and just like every football team has different positions and the wide receiver isn't expected to act like the right guard and the tight end isn't expected to act like the running back. It's the same thing in the, in the body of Christ. And you know, when I understand the fact that I have a spiritual gift, you know what begins to happen? It frees me from the guilt that I have to be good at everything. Because I don't. I don't have to be good at everything. And who has that guilt? I mean, seriously. Who has the guilt that they got to do everything and be great at everything in in the church? Okay be okay with that let me tell you something i'm not all that good at i'm not all that good at counseling and there are times where people come to me for marriage counseling they'll sit down in my office you know and they'll unzip the you know the financial problems and the problems in the bedroom and all of the things that they've said and done to each other you do know that the people who've come to you for marriage counseling are probably sitting right there. I, I want to say, you know, in the pew, but you don't have pews. Um, they're in the uh, the plush seating in the audience. And, <laughs> oh boy. Pause, if only for a moment, to stop and hear what kind of, you know, uh, um, godly wisdom I might have to say. You know, and my response is typically something like this. Whoa. (laughs) That is bad. (laughs) Man, I'm surprised the two of you guys are still together. You know, I mean, the stuff that comes out of my mouth, I go home to my wife and go, I don't deserve to be the pastor of this church. (laughs) But there is one couple in our church named Brett and Marta Gibson that do all of the premarital counseling in our church. And I feel guilty that I don't do the premarital counseling in this church until I see Brett and Marta begin to counsel this couple. And then all of a sudden, you know, Marta will have like scripture at the tip of her tongue, you know, and Brett will have all sorts of wise, sagely advice for this couple. And I sit there going, what the heck, man? I sit there like, Joe, I think who's the pastor here? You know, when you see someone discharging... Their- it, it, what, what exactly is the gift of premarital counseling again? Spiritual gift. Initially, what's going to happen in your own carnal, sinful nature is this. That you're going to see somebody else working within their role and their position in the body of Christ. Doing that so well that you know what your first reaction is going to be? It's going to be to be envious. It's going to be to be jealous that you look over at somebody else and you're like, why you think you're all that. See, some people have this thing called the gift of evangelism. You know what that means? That they can walk into a 7-Eleven to get a Slurpee. And then all of a sudden at the Slurpee machine, they can start talking about Jesus Christ in a way that's winsome and attractive. And the other person doesn't feel like you're shoving the Bible down their throat. You know, and here's the thing. I look over at that person and I'm always like this. Oh, why can't I do that? You know, and I start beating myself over. I've never seen anybody share the gospel winsomely at the Slurpee machine in 7-Eleven. 
<laughs> do I go at the wrong time of the day? Maybe I don't get out enough. Just, just weird. Something like that. Or I see some people with the gift of administration. You know, if you looked at my car or if you looked at my desk, it is obvious that I do not have this gift of administration. And when I see somebody else who actually enjoys crossing their T's and dotting their I's, uh, how many of you guys love organization? Raise your hands if you love organization. These are all of the people who have, you know, put their spice racks in alphabetical order. Okay. You know, a lot of times I open their cupboards and I'm like this. Oh, how come I'm not like that? You know, or I see somebody with a gift of faith. You know, I see somebody who can talk to their own small group person, or they can talk to a friend, or they can talk to a coworker about their life situation, and they just seem to look at uh, life through a different set of eyes. And my own initial reaction is always like this. Oh, how come... You know, I'm the pastor. How come I can't do that? You know, and here's the thing. When you understand your own spiritual gift, when you understand your place within the body of Christ, guess what? You don't have to feel that way. Because it frees me from the guilt of understanding that I have to be good at everything. Because I don't. Do you know what my spiritual gift is? And I think I can say this in humility without this sense of gloating or anything like that. My spiritual gift is a gift of teaching. Okay? If you don't think public speaking is hard, then go watch a best man make a toast at a wedding sometime. Yeah, and, and, and here's the thing. Like, my spiritual gift is teaching. You know, in my week, I usually spend about two days... Um, Uh, working on various administrative or leadership duties in the church. But then I have two days, okay, people? I have Thursday and Friday. I have 16 hours to grab my Bible, to get books and commentaries together. I have two days to research, to write, and to memorize an eight-page term paper every week that's got to be funny, that has to be insightful, and has to change somebody's life. Um... See, yeah, there's, there's the problem. Why? Where in the Bible does it say that you're required to be funny? Um, in the insightful part, I maybe if you just if focused on good exegesis, you know, you wouldn't have to worry about that part. Um, again, where is the emphasis in all of this? It's on the me, 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 the I, I, I. And and is this sermon building up the body of Christ? I mean, you you, you strip mine the Bible to find the, the lists of the you know the different gifts of the Holy Spirit, and then you kind of create your own theology around it rather than going with the theology that's actually there in the text. And all of the emphasis is on how unique I am and all this me, 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 me. Hey, can you can you tell me something about Jesus? You know, maybe change the subject. I, I don't really want to talk about you anymore or listen to stories and things about you anymore. And, and no, 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 no. I'm about to get to that in a second. And by the way, <laughs> by the way, you know, Tom will say, oh, and by the way, can you do that in 35 minutes or less? But, but, 
you know what? Like, however stressful that can be at times to write and to memorize an eight-page term paper every week in a two-day span, can I tell you this? I love it. I love doing what I do. And even on mornings like this morning when I'm tired and a little groggy from only getting eight and a half hours of sleep last night because I went to bed at 8.30, but for some reason I still woke up tired. You know, I still enjoy doing what I'm doing. I'm right about to get to the point that you just made. No gift is any more important than any other gift. Everybody has a tendency to think that the flashier, that the more upfront gifts are more important than more background gifts. That is not the case. Is the, is the eye more important than the foot? Is the mouth more important than the elbow? No. Okay, that's actually part of the theology in the, the Corinthians passage. All of the gifts are important. All of the gifts are necessary in the body of Christ. And can I say this? If all of the gifts are necessary within the body of Christ, then it also stands to reason that that all of the ministries are necessary and important within the body of Christ. There is no ministry at this church that is any more important than any other ministry at this church. The preaching of the word is not any more important than the prayer ministry. That the ban is not any more important than our human trafficking ministry. That our first seven ministry is not any more important than our youth ministry. We are all important. We are all a a part of the body of Christ. And, And this is what we know from God's word. That sometimes it's the smaller things that ultimately have the bigger impact. Amen? The most important light in my house is not the largest lamp. The most important light in my house is not the, I guess you could call it a chandelier. It doesn't have like things coming off of it. But um, the most important light is in my house is not the big old lamp that hangs from the, the ceiling in the dining room. That is not the most important light in my house. The most important light in my house is the little night light that I have in the hallway that keeps me from stepping on a Lego in the middle of the night and screaming out profanity, you know, for the entire neighborhood to hear. That is the most important light in my house. There is no gift that is more important than another. There is no ministry that is more important than another. If you do anything at this church, you are serving the Lord, and that's what counts. Scripture says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, it says this. Are you ready for this? It says this, eagerly desire The spiritual gifts. If you have your Bibles open, I want you to go ahead and circle that verse. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And again, it just fascinates me that we only got part of chapter 12, none of chapter 13, which actually, in the, in the great love chapter, it's about the use of spiritual gifts. And then we get to chapter 14, and we get part. I mean, hang on a second here. 1 Corinthians 14. 
pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, comma, there's more to the sentence, especially that you may prophesy. Why are we taking an exacto knife to God's word? I, I would say this. One of the marks that you can know that you're really a Christian, because this is what we know. Anybody can say that they're a Christian. In fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says it as much when he says, you know, uh, uh, that even the demons believe and shudder. One of the ways that you can really know if you're a Christian is right here. If you eagerly desire, no, no, oh, this is bad. Yeah, you don't want to go looking for your assurance of salvation based upon the eagerness of your desire for spiritual gifts. Oh, oh no, 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 no. This is not going to provide you any assurance of your salvation or that you're a Christian. In fact, this is a formula for basically saying, well, maybe I'm not a Christian. Do I eagerly desire spiritual gifts enough? If you passionately desire, if you follow this... The- what if I don't passionately desire spiritual gifts? What if I only kind of mediocrely desire spiritual gifts or kind of like not at all desire them? You know, I don't care. What, what if I'm there? Does that mean I'm not a Christian? Same way that you research your golf game. If you follow this the same way that you research how to be the best homemaker... How to be the best in your industry. He says this. I want you to passionately desire and passionately follow after these spiritual gifts. I would say this. In fact, if you have no desire to know what your spiritual gift is. And if you have no desire to employ and to activate your spiritual gift within the body of Christ. To activate I'm going to go crazy. So purpose-driven spiritual giftage, and uh, if you don't have enough desire, well, you're probably not even a Christian. What? You should doubt whether or not you're a Christian. Come on. What is this? Really? You just told these people to doubt their Christianity, whether they're saved and have faith in Christ, based upon whether or not they can muster up what you consider to be a warm enough, passionate enough feeling regarding desire for spiritual gifts. This is not what this text says at all, and you're, you're actually undercutting and probably going to shipwreck the faith of these people in this church. Because one of the marks... One of the most genuine aspects of a follower of Jesus Christ is this verse right here that he desires, not just desires, but eagerly desires to know what his spiritual gift is and to utilize that. Yeah, see, again, this basically is a works salvation scheme. I mean, well, if you're not, you don't have a strong enough desire, then you're not really a Christian. Well, what's the solution? I better 
find a way to warm up the feelings to the boiling point so that I can say that I'm saved. All of the verbs are on you now. You are the one doing the saving by feeling and committing and desiring and all of this. This is a form of salvation by works. Spiritual gift. Can I say this? That a non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms. That a non-serving Christian is an oxymoron. It's almost like a jumbo shrimp. Government efficiency, <laughs> civil war, they're all contradictions in terms. So is this phrase, a non-serving Christian. It does not make sense. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, it says this. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed you cannot be okay so you start in the middle of first corinthians chapter 12 you skip over to you know like you know almost near the end of chapter 12 you jump over to romans and then you come back and and now you're back at first corinthians chapter 12 verse 1 what kind of exegesis is this uninformed when it comes to the spiritual gifts. Well, how do I know what my spiritual gifts are? If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, you want to be informed and you want to know what they are so you can go ahead and utilize them. Here are two ways that you can know what your spiritual gifts are. By examining and experimenting. Go ahead and write that down if you're taking notes. By examining and by experimenting. If you want to know what your spiritual gifts are, then here's one exercise that I want you to do. I want you to look over the course of your life to see all the different ways that you've been involved and to say, okay, in my own ministry experience at a church, like, what are the things that really got me excited? What, you know, I know what didn't get me excited. Okay, good. Process of elimination. I know this didn't get me excited. But what did get me excited? What were the things that I really just enjoyed being a part of? Okay, the second question that you can ask to, apart from the enjoyment question, was the fruitfulness question. Was I effective at it? Did I see results at it? See, here's the thing. If you think... Where... <laughs> Where in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 does it talk about the fruitfulness question? Ay, 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 this totally subjectivizes all of this. And again, everything, the emphasis is on me. Have the gift of teaching, then you better have other people who have the gift of listening to you. Not only do you have to enjoy it, you have to be effective at it. And a lot of times what you will see is that other people will begin to see these spiritual gifts in you before you even see it in yourself. Here's the thing. If you don't have any past to draw upon, that's okay. The other thing that you should do is you should experiment. I'm all for um, 
you know, spiritual gift assessments. In, in fact, one of the things that I want you to be a part of, if you're not a part of a small group right now, during the small group, you're going to be doing a lot of assessments. You're going to be talking with your groups about the things that you've enjoyed and the kind of things that you haven't enjoyed. You're going to be talking about your experiences. If you're not a part of a small group right now, I do want to invite you to be a part of that small group during second service in the career center because you're going to be helping. You're going to, you're going to have help from very good people like to assess what it is that your spiritual gifts are. I think it's important to know what your spiritual gifts are. But is it me or is does it really sound like these their idea regarding spiritual gifts? I mean, it's kind of in the ballpark, but it's in left field. It's it's something screwy. It's just ah. at the end of the day, um, a spiritual gift test or assessment is not going to definitively tell you what your gift is. Because if you've ever taken any personality profile, or if you've ever taken any test for anybody that's a personality test, oftentimes we answer who we want to be and not who we actually are, right? You know, am I organized or am I a complete and total slob? Oh, I guess I'm organized. The only way that you can really know is by experience. So this guy basically, all those spiritual gift inventories, yeah, they're probably not worth the paper they're printed on due to the fact that you are projecting what you really want to be rather than what you are. Okay. I can't argue with that. I'm sure that's probably the case. I never, never found spiritual gift inventories to be worth much. Um, so we're left with the fruitfulness test and whatever you, what, what you know, what kind of turns you on, you know? By jumping in, by doing something, by committing for a very, very short time to say, hey, you know, I'm going to go in. I'm going to just kind of check this out for a little bit, just kind of see if I like it. And in the process, what you're going to find is those two things are going to come back up to the surface. Do I enjoy doing this? I mean, we have over 50 ministries here at this church to be a part of. And if you were to be a part of any one of those, you have to ask yourself one of those two questions. Do I enjoy this? Am I good at this? Can I tell you this? 23 years ago, if someone were to tell me that I would be standing up in front of a thousand people every week talking about Jesus, I would have said, you know what? Like, you are crazy because there is no way in heck I'm ever going to do something like that. Well, I'm a little slide rule in hand and stuff like that. I said, there's no way I could ever do something like that. But you know what? One day, somebody asked me to give a sermon at a youth group in Indianapolis, Indiana one time. I preached for an hour and a half. My, ser- my first point of the sermon was an hour long, you know, and I, and I loved it. You, you got to try it. You have to try something. Here in our own 21st century like Southern California, like Hollywood church mentality, we have this tendency to think that here's what God wants. You know what God wants? God wants Jesus Christ to be like at the center of the stadium, you know, for Jesus to be surrounded by millions of adoring fans all chanting his name. But here's what you have to understand. That's not what God wants. God doesn't want fans. You know what God wants? God wants followers. God doesn't want an army. 
I mean, ah, I gave it away. God doesn't want an audience. He wants an He doesn't want, you guys have the gift of prophecy. Uh, God doesn't want uh, spectators. He wants participators. In fact, part of the reason why we even printed up these I Am Vantage Point t-shirts is because this is how you know that you are a truly a part of our church. This is a part of the culture of our church. This is who we are as a church. That when you're a part of Vantage Point Church, you're going to grow in your faith in Jesus Christ by knowing what your spiritual gifts are and by using your spiritual gifts and not expecting the entire world to serve you, but to, but to join in the ranks of Jesus Christ and to serve other people. You know, it's almost kind of like this. The same illustration with church applies to the same illustration with football. Some people have described this about football, that football is 24 people on the field in desperate need of rest, being surrounded by 100,000 people in desperate need of exercise. (laughs) And that's so many times what it can be in church. 24 people in desperate need of rest at a church surrounded by 100,000 people in desperate need of exercise. And here's the thing. You, you know what's most annoying in that context? You know what's most annoying at the game? You know, the fat guy up in the stands with a big old hot dog in his hand, screaming and yelling down at the guy on the field as to how it is that he should do his job when he's the one who's doing it. You try it. It, can, I, can I tell you this? Some, some of the most critical emails that we get at the church office, some of the most hateful, unsigned, bitter letters that we get at the church office, do you know who they come from? They come from people who either don't do jack in this church, or they come from people who don't have the courage to sign their name to it. But, oh, thank you, at least the letter was prayerfully written. Do you know why we serve at the end of the day? You know why we serve? It's not so that you can fill some stupid slot. It's not so that you and I can, you know, help out, you know, in a children's area that doesn't have enough volunteers or whatever, something like that. It's because in serving, that's how you and I become more like Christ. You know, that's bad theology too. So our good works make us more like Christ? Or as God makes us more like Christ, we do good works? Yeah, again, uh, everything is backwards, upside down, inside out in this sermon. Bible says, the Bible says this, that the son of God did not come to be served. God himself did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life. Okay, so be very careful here, Mark, because it sounds like you are about to preach the gospel as law. Please don't do that. As a ransom for many. Yeah, that's the gospel. You know what really warms my heart? Um, what really warms my heart is when I hear about guys like 
Dave Leifer, you know. <laughs> I mean, so there we heard, you know, I, I, I mean, there was a biblical text right there that um, actually had the gospel in it. So we got to do this. Hang on. Now that was the gospel. It flew in and flew out. Probably about Mach six today. Um, yeah, it, but see the way he threw it out there. I mean, he it was like. You, you know, God serves, so you better get serving, you know. All law, no gospel. Even though we heard the gospel, I mean, it wasn't applied or proclaimed as gospel. Sorry, I can't say that name without laughing sometimes. But it's guys like Dave Leifer who dress up in the Easter Bunny costume at our uh, Easter, uh, Easter egg hunt. And he so loves, uh, he so loves serving kids and serving God's people, that the first time he ever did that, it was 90 degrees out. You know, he was just, he was just broiling in this costume. And after he served for five hours in that day and in the Easter Bunny costume, you know what he did? He sent a thank you note to the church office saying, thank you so much for allowing me to serve in this context. It was such a blessing for me. I thought he was dehydrated when he wrote that, when he wrote that note. You know, you know what really warms my heart? It really warms my heart when I hear people like Christine, uh, not Christine, but when I hear people like Kim Lozano saying, you know, man, I just feel like God is calling me to work with the one-year-olds. I didn't know God could call anyone to work with the one-year-olds, honestly. That ain't my calling, I'll tell you that much. You know what warms my heart to see the setup and breakdown people? Like, taking pride... You know, people always ask me, like, all this stuff comes with the school, right? And I say, no, we set up each and every one of anything and everything that you see. And you know what I love? I love the fact that it's the setup and breakdown people, that they take pride in their work. I love the background people. I love the forefront people. I love everybody in this church doing what they're doing. Um... And this is just an observation that I have, and then I'll hurry up and end. Are you ever really going to actually tell us anything about Jesus? I mean, you kind of mentioned it, but kind of like in a backhanded kind of way. I mean, I'm hearing a lot about you, your church, and you know, people there and stuff like that. And pretty much have concluded that God's word in context, yeah, that's not on your radar or agenda. Observation that I have is this. Do you know why some of the most involved people in this church are the happiest people in this church? And do you know why some of the least involved people in this church are the grumpiest people in this church? Do you know why that is? Because maybe it's really true that in giving that we truly do receive. Maybe that's the case. Here's my, here's my encouragement to you. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about this idea of how God has uniquely shaped you. Next week, we're going to be talking about your natural abilities and all of the different ways outside of the spiritual. Okay, so next week, you're going to tell them more about them. 
realm that God has fashioned you. If you feel like, yeah, you know what? I have been a spectator in this church. And I want to kind of jump in a little bit. I'm not even going to ask you to fill a volunteer slot. I'm not going to ask you that. That's between you and God. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. That if you're not a part of a small group, or maybe if you were previously a part of a small group and you were just taking a semester off, but they're even pseudo kind of holding your place. I have people like that in my small group. Um, Maybe you could just say, hey, can we kind of join you guys for four weeks? If you don't have a small group to be a part of this small group during second service for four weeks. Next year, we're going to, uh, next week, we're going to have something called a volunteer. And that is where you have an opportunity just to, like we're talking about, examine. Not even necessarily experiment, but examine to go on a tour of all of the different things that happen in this church and to go, ah, oh, I wonder if the Holy Spirit is kind of piquing my interest over here. Ah, huh. I wonder if my... If the Holy Spirit is piquing my interest over there. Like I said, we don't want you to get involved for our sake. You know, if it's for our sake, you know, go do something else. We want you to get involved because this is how we become more like Christ. Why don't you bow your heads and pray with me? Wow. Yeah. Run everything through the law. Make it all about me and what I've got to do. And then throw in the the fact that, uh, you know, if I don't have enough passionate desire for spiritual gifts, I probably aren't, am, I'm not a Christian. You hear the gospel preached backhandedly, and it, I mean, it wasn't even preached. It was just thrown out there. Well, God gives, so you should give too. And, oh, man. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> kind of the standard fare nowadays. Um What's happened to exegetical, Christ-centered, cross-focused preaching in evangelicalism? Evangelicalism used to champion that. Now it's very, very tough to find in evangelical churches. What do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions, Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.